Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no deal. And a very good afternoon. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And 11 Supreme Court justices must now consider whether the Prime Minister acted lawfully, Roger, when he was allowed to suspend Parliament for five weeks. Indeed, the Supremes, as they're known, are even now getting down to it and having a think about what to say and what to make of all the various uh, things that are being put before them. Indeed. And Boris Johnson's retort, of course, to the idea uh, of of the Brexit deal not getting enough scrutiny. It will get enough scrutiny when he brings the deal back. I hope we will be able to do uh, both before and after the European Council on the 17th of October. That's when he wants to get this Brexit deal done. And of course, we'll be talking about all that with Liberal Democrat MP and Environment spokesman Weira Hobhouse and also Catherine Barnard, Professor of European Union and Labour Law at Trinity College. Cambridge. But anyway, let's hear what is actually going on. Highly unusual to be able to listen live to a British court, but with the Supreme Court, we can. Let's go live to Westminster, where the case is getting underway. And that was, in substance, the reasoning on this issue of law uh, by the inner house. Lord Drummond Young at paragraph uh, 99. I won't take the court to it, but we uh, draw uh, attention all right, well, we're there hearing something a bit procedural. In fact, that uh, that uh, lawyer was talking about the decision by the Scottish justices, which, of course, is one of the major things, the Scottish justices, who came to the conclusion that not only did they have the right to talk about this, but they also were able to um, decide that they thought it was wrong. Yeah, indeed, because the London court case found that it wasn't uh, the judge's decision, really, that this was a purely political issue. Uh, let's go straight down now to the court, where Bloomberg Westminster's Sebastian Salek is standing by... Um, Seb, look, this is a huge moment uh, that can't be understated when it comes to the British Constitution. What is the atmosphere now outside of court? What it's been like this morning and what's going on now? I mean, if you think it's calm and collected inside the courtroom, it's a very different story out here. I'm stood in a throng of people. You've got media, you've got uh, protesters, I suppose you could call them, from both sides. I feel like those who are saying defend democracy are a reopen parliament are probably greater in their number. But there's no doubt that those saying leave means leave and that sort of message are very much the noisier side of things here. We've had uh, a, a little bit of tension. Uh, we've had a lot of music and celebration as well. You're seeing all of the, uh, the, the corners of our, our great people coming out here and a lot of amused tourists as well as we wait for this case to, uh, to, to play out. Of course, we're looking to reconcile these two rulings from the lower houses, both in Scotland 
and in England to come to some sort of decision. And I think you're completely right when you say this can't be understated. The magnitude here is great. We heard from the Institute for Government who say we are in uncharted waters. David Mundy, the lawyer, says the constitutional stakes could not be higher. So one thing is for sure here, this is so much bigger than Brexit. It's testing all these fundamental principles of our constitution. It's definitely something that's going to make its way into the legal textbooks for scholars in years to come. Okay, Seb, thanks very much indeed. Sebastian Solek down there live at the court where all this is going on. Well, let's go from the court to Catherine Barnard, who's Professor of European Union and Labour Law at Cambridge University. Uh, Catherine, thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome to be with us uh, today (laughs) on this very confusing day. So first of all, I mean, let's just pick out this. What is it that the court, that the Supreme Court is essentially attempting to find out or to judge upon? What it's actually trying to rule on and decide is what do courts actually do um, in respect of the separation of powers between the courts, the executive and uh, parliament. And the question is, if the executive does something, in this case proroguing or suspending parliament, and parliament is thus unable to speak, can the courts step in and say, actually... We need to uphold the separation of powers by putting power back in the hands of the Parliament. And some people say, indeed, the High Court of England and Wales said, this isn't really a matter for the judiciary. This is entirely a matter for the executive, for the government. But the Scottish Court said the opposite. The Scottish Court said this is absolutely a matter for the judiciary because it goes to the core of the Constitution about the separation of powers. Yeah, indeed. So you've got this battle, really, Parliament versus the government versus the courts. And then, of course, it does entail, to some extent, the Queen. Um, I note that you've co-authored a very interesting piece which, where you kind of detail your views uh, on the issue of prorogation published by the UK in a changing that's Europe. Right. So I wanted to flag that to our listeners. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, th- th- that's the kind of detail that where we're getting your views from. Look, What happens uh, if the proroguing is found to be illegal? That's the big point, isn't it? What happens then? Does Parliament return to sit? Well, that's the million-dollar question. The Scottish Court had anticipated this. Remember, the Scottish Court found um, the prorogation to be unlawful, and they declared it null and void. And null and void suggests that it's as if it never happened, and therefore we go back to the position prior to the prorogation And therefore, Parliament carries on sitting, and all of the select committees carry on sitting as before. Interestingly, Robert Buckland, one of the senior law officers from the executive, said was less clear, and he wasn't. um, He he was clear that the government would comply with the the law and the rulings, but was less clear about the implications of what would happen if uh, the prorogation was found to be unlawful. Because I suppose the point in all, in all this, Catherine, is you're dealing with two systems of law anyway, the Scottish system and the English system. And the Scottish system of law could, I suppose, legally find that it, this was justiciable, or whatever phrase they use for it, and the other one not. I mean, is there a sense in which the UK Supreme Court can't really bring these two concepts of law together satisfactorily? That's You're absolutely right. That's one of the issues. On the other hand, many would say, although there are two different systems of law, there's the English law of England and Wales on the one hand and the law of Scotland on the other, 
they are in both cases adjudicating on the same constitutional framework, namely the, the constitutional framework of the United Kingdom as a whole. And the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court of the entire United Kingdom and does comprise both English and Scottish judges. And what will be interesting is whichever way the court goes, there will be serious political ramifications. If the court were to find that the prorogation is unlawful, then uh, thus effectively upholding what the Scottish courts say, um, this will have serious implications for Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. If, on the other hand, they find the prorogation is not unlawful and Boris Johnson is free to prorogue Parliament, as he has done so, then um, there, this will reinforce Nicola Sturgeon's position. Nicola Sturgeon, uh, the leader of the uh, Scottish National Party, and she'll say, look, these English courts aren't listening to us, and this will play into her hands as she pushes towards an independence, um, a second independence referendum. Yeah, indeed. So sort of casting aside the view uh, from north of the border, I suppose, will be uh, the accusation. Uh, look, is there any precedent for this kind of case? Because you mentioned in your uh, writing that the constitutional implications will be even larger just than the political ramifications now on Brexit. It could be even bigger than that. How? Well, what we're seeing is we're beginning to understand the, the under the bonnet of our constitution. Um, as you know, we don't have a written constitution, and our constitution comes from a collection of statutes, conventions, and also now the common law, so law made by judges. And so the only other case of this sort of uh, constitutional significance was the first Gina Miller case. That was where she said that the executive could not trigger Article 50 on their own, um, but they would need Parliament to approve that triggering. That was a very significant case. But this one is thought to be even more significant because it's really trespassing into a domain with which we are very unfamiliar, which is essentially... Um, to what extent can the courts tie the hands of the uh, democratically elected government? Well, that's what I wanted to come on to, Catherine, because I think this is fascinating. We talk about a constitution. As you say, we don't have a written constitution, so there is no way you can actually look up and say, yes, we can, no, we can't. So what on earth does it hang on? Because uh, there is, as you say, almost no precedent for this. This is what's so extraordinary, and what um, I don't know if you've had a chance to be keeping an eye on what David Panic QC has been arguing this morning in the serene calm of the courtroom um, in the Supreme Court, is that the Constitution is comprised of a whole variety of documents, including the common law, and thus by definition is evolving. And so what we're seeing is a discussion of what that evolution might look like. And, of course, it's showing us that we don't really know precisely what the Constitution entails on an issue such as this. And it's not even clear if we had a written Constitution whether that would magically produce an answer. Just think about the U.S., Yes, it's got a much-respected constitution um, drafted in a very imaginative way more than 200 years ago, but it's not as sufficiently detailed as to really nail down exactly what would happen in a, uh, in a circumstance such as this, because, of course, drafters would never have anticipated um, it being tested in the context of leaving the European Union. Yeah, indeed. So even that 
complicated. One very last, very quick question to you from me, <laughs> and it's very, very unfair. Which way are they going to go? Come on, I want you to nail your colours to the list. <laughs> Anyone who tries to bet on anything to do with Brexit is a fool. But what I would say is that there is a reasonable chance that the judges may eventually find this case justiciable, i.e. they've got the right to hear the case, but they may fi- find on the facts of this case that the um, prorogation Um, was not an abuse, but leaving it open that they could review other uses of the the power to prorogue. Uh Just think that the power to prorogue could be used by a government in future to say, right, we'll we'll prorogue for 364 days of the year. We only need to be heard um, just once because we need to get our finance bills through. But otherwise, we don't sit, Parliament doesn't sit at all. Surely the courts must be able to intervene in a case such as that. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a quick look at what's in the papers this morning. Some yeah. of the things that caught my eye. Ian Swanson in The Scotsman, uh, they've got a lot of these, not <laughs> hanging on this, needless to say, says the ruling from today's Supreme Court hearing will also have long-lasting implications whichever way it goes. Either it will establish the rights of Parliament to do its democratic job, holding the government to account without interference from the executive, or it will send a signal to future prime ministers that they can suspend Parliament at their whim for their own ends and potentially undermine the future of the UK into the Oh, okay. So that's interesting from north of the border. What will that mean uh, for them? Uh, Also, I note this in the Daily Mail. Stephen Glover calling the Liberal Dem, the Lib Dems, illiberal and undemocratic because of the party's determination, as he puts it, to reverse the democratic referendum vote of 2016. Why do I bring that up? Well, of course, that's because of our next guest uh, who'll be joining us in just a moment from the actual Liberal Democrat Party conference, uh, and that is the shadow cabinet uh, member for climate change and the environment, uh, which is, of course, that we're a hob house, will be joining us. I wonder what she will think of, uh, of the Daily Mail calling the party superficially enlightened and broad-minded. I suppose you could say perhaps the Daily Mail might be expected to say that, but let me bring you in the FT, which uh, a very interesting piece by Robert Trimsley, who says, and the headline on his thing is, Brexit policy shows the Liberal Democrats are not serious about power. He says, the bigger danger of the scrap Brexit policy, which the Liberal Democrats have put on now, is that it in some ways a repetition of the 2010 pledge to cancel university tuition fees. The leadership Ah. viewed that policy as impractical but stuck with it because it helped them win seats and they never expected to be in a position where it mattered. Now, for tactical reasons, the party's again adopted an unserious policy it never expects to have to carry out. Rather than signalling the scale of Lib Dem ambition, the policy, he says, signals its limits. So there we have a very interesting... Uh, line, I guess, on, on that that's going to direct a lot of the, a lot of the debate. I think because people say, "Hang on, how can the Lib Dems go to this policy while well, they're still, in theory, at least, also pursuing a referendum, which could have an in or out choice as part of it?" Anyway, let's while we're waiting, let's have a quick listen to what was said this morning at the Supreme Court because obviously what's happening there is crucial to all this, uh, where the UK's most senior judges are hearing the appeal against Boris Johnson's suspension of Parliament. Lady Brenda Hale, who's president of the Supreme Court, said the eleven judges were not concerned with wider political issues. 
as will be apparent when we hear the legal arguments, the determination of this legal issue will not determine when and how the United Kingdom leaves the European Union. So that is from the Supreme Court. Well, let's go live now to the Liberal Democrat Party conference, which is actually taking place in Bournemouth, uh, where Weira Hobhouse is standing by, the Shadow Cabinet Member for Climate Change, Environment, Transport uh, and Liberal Democrat MP for Bath. Weira, great to have you uh, on the programme this morning. I just want to ask you, on the news of the day, the challenge to Boris Johnson's suspension of Parliament, what's your take? Um, I am waiting with bated breath. Uh, we understand the difficulty is there hasn't really been a precedent. Uh, we also understand that um, in the English courts, we heard uh, the High Court ruling that um, the judiciary should not get involved in what they cons- consider to be ultimately politics and a political issue, whereas in the Scottish courts, it was seen as a slightly different thing. And as, as I understand um, the whole debate is who is the guarantor ultimately of what underpins our parliamentary democracy who actually if parliament is sovereign which is one of the pillars of our democracy if parliament is sovereign who apart from parliament itself which is split is guaranteeing the sovereignty of parliament we're, we're uh, we've got a rather bad line, I'm afraid to. So I think what we'll do, we'll try and we'll try and call you straight back for a moment. We'll just discuss this, see if we can re-establish the line and perhaps get a better one. But while I'm, we're doing that, yeah. let me just uh, talk to you, Caroline. But it's, but it's very interesting what the Liberal Democrats have done, and we'll talk about it with with Ira in a minute. By saying that they want out, they are at least according to the newspapers we were talking about just now, putting themselves, boxing themselves into a position where it's going to be very difficult if they actually do get some measure of power. Yeah. Because in effect, they will be saying to the uh, the, the, the 52% who voted uh, against, who voted to leave the European Union, effectively that what they're saying is null and void. Now, they admit that may be potentially, I suppose, uh, according to some, the better economic outcome, but it doesn't seem to be the better democratic outcome to most people. Yeah, and th- this is why we have these accusations that the party is is illiberal, undemocratic. I mean, a- and by out, uh, you know, w- what you're saying is uh, getting rid of the Article 50 uh, uh, decision. Yeah, we can, in fact, go back to where we're, we're, uh, can, uh, can you hear us okay? Yes, I can hear you. Very okay, well. it's a much better line. We can hear you properly now. Let me ask you then: your your party. We were just talking about this while we were re-establishing the line. Your party has said now you want an end to Brexit. You want to revoke Article Fifty, but you are also still in favour of a referendum. So let me put it to you: if you have a referendum, by definition, you must accept either outcome: either stay in or come out. Is Indeed. that right? But let, let, let's explain this again. And I'm I'm always staggered how people through propaganda can sort of put this thing out there that this is not a democratic thing. Our position is on day one, if we had a majority in parliament, if we were in government, we would revote Article 50 because we would see the outcome of a democratic election as a mandate. While um, when we are not in government, we continue to argue for a people's vote. That is what we continue to say. Is the risk not that you muddy the waters, just like the Labour Party, that it confuses voters on the doorstep? We're about potentially probably to go into another election. To the contrary, it's a very, very clear message. We are unashamedly a pro-European party. And again, that we are being smeared, that this is something undemocratic. Hey-ho, nearly 50%, nearly half the population in 2016 wanted to stay in the European Union. That we put that forward as an option 
as a political option and, and fight for it democratically. Why is that undemocratic? That people can even manage to, 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 to smear that as an anti-democratic thing and that we have to be so defensive about that we are putting that forward is is shocking. And and, well, and this is how far the political debate yeah, in this country but, but, has gone. But where are the point? The point people can imagine, I suppose, is you say become the government. Let, let's assume that's a possibility. Yeah. You, uh, you are committed to withdrawing uh, the uh, from your committed to revoking Article 50. If there has been at that point or another referendum which has confirmed that people want to leave, would you still take, would you still insist that Britain remains or goes back into even the EU? Hang on, let's just sort of think about this in timelines. When would this and people's vote actually have happened? I was one. Well, you tell us because it's your plan. So hang on, from 2016 onwards, I have been passionately campaigning for a people's vote. It hasn't happened. And why not? Because the Labour Party would not fall behind it. It took forever to get the Labour Party in the position that they would also support a people's vote. We are running out of time. It's the 31st of October in five weeks' time. When is this a referendum going to happen? So we are talking about an election that will happen very soon when yeah. there's no time to have um, a referendum. I'd be the first person who wants the referendum. That's what I have always thought is the right thing to do. I've said in December 2017, the people must finish what the people have started. I have passionately passionately campaigned for that. But yeah. we've got into such a mess over this that now we have to call the emergency break. And as an unashamedly pro-European party, it is perfectly clear that if we want to campaign, if we want to stay in the European Union, we are the, ma- the government yeah. are in the position of power put into Parliament by the majority of the people in this country. Then of course, it is perfectly in within our democratic reach to say, look, we are we are revoking Article 50 because guess what? Lots of people after three years are very fed yes. up with it all. They want to get on. And me as a, 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 a spokesperson for climate change, I keep saying we've got much bigger challenges. The climate emergency is the biggest challenge of our age. I, I know. I want get just want to that. get one other thought where, though, um, look, th- this is I want to get in, first of all, your leader and just to, to get her take, because obviously from the conference she was saying that the situation right now is chaotic have a listen we have uncertainty we need a way out of that i think the best way out is a people's vote but in a general election then i will argue that we should stop brexit altogether Okay, so that's Joe Swinson, the Lib Dem leader, saying, uh, giving the party line. Look, what happens, as you you mentioned, 44 days until Brexit happens, like it or not, unless Parliament is able to do something about it. Are you then going to campaign for us to go back into the EU if we've tumbled out with no deal three years on and the frustration within the European Union is this high? So, first of all, things every day we see a new situation. What is Boris Johnson going to do once he is not coming back with a deal? He says he is, but I doubt it very much. So he's not coming back with a deal. Parliament has legislated against no deal. Boris Johnson, in theory, would have to go back to the European Union and ask for an extension. So that is really um, what is currently on the table. No more, no less. So we, ha- we are not out of the European Union. I, I, I take it that by the 31st of October, we are not out of the European Union. And that is where I'm standing. Whether we are out of the European Union, yes or no. Um, I heard a joke um, in Germany where they say we are writing the year um, 2137. And the prime minister, as every year, goes to Brussels to ask for a Brexit extension. That's how the Europeans see it. We are not out of the European Union. We are but, not. But but very briefly, we are. If we were, would Lib Dems back rejoining? 
Well, um, it, as it's kind I of say, a yes or no um, answer, isn't it? Well, obviously, we would campaign to, to rejoin the European Union okay. at some point. All right, that's a nice, nice clear line, Weira. Thank you so much for doing that for us. We're a hobhouse there of the Liberal Democrats, speaking to some fairly scratchy line from Bournemouth, where, of course, they are meeting at the moment. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.